0: Good morning, everyone. I'm glad you were with us this morning for worship here at WPC. Today we continue our summer sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, uh, wherein Jesus teaches his disciples and the church how to pray. So far, we've explored who God is as our Heavenly Parent, and that to hollow God's name means to hollow one another and participate in God's mission of reaching out to those who are in need. Today we turn to the second petition in the prayer, Your Kingdom Come. To explore what it means to pray for God's Kingdom to come, we turn to the clearest example of this hope in Scripture, John's Revelation. Y'all are probably thinking I'm crazy for having two readings from the book of Revelation in the same service. We tend to be afraid of this book in the church, and I've never really understood why. Because to me, this book is filled with so much hope, so much excitement for God's kingdom. And so I wanted to celebrate and illustrate that today in scripture as we uh, do this series. In the first lesson, we heard John's vision of the new Jerusalem coming down from the heavens, where God dwells among the people and wipes away all tears where death and pain and loss are no more. In our second lesson, we turn to the next chapter, as John continues to describe his vision of the new Jerusalem where God dwells with us. I invite you now to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 22nd chapter of Revelation, beginning with the first verse. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true, for the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. See, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Kingdom is a strange word for us today in the 21st century. It's a dated word, really, and it has been for quite some time because we don't really have kingdoms these days. And many that are still around exist largely in ceremonial forms only. Yet we say this word nearly every week in worship. We pray it together, thy kingdom come. Like many other words, kingdom becomes one of those churchy phrases we say every week, but we may not know exactly what it means. We talk about living into God's kingdom, but what does that exactly entail? These are the questions this line of the Lord's Prayer beckons us to explore together. The word here in Greek is basileia, and it's usually translated as kingdom, but it can also mean the reign or the realm of a a king or a leader. The idea of kingdom was an important one to the Jewish people in Jesus' time. Back then, they were living under Roman occupation with a pseudo-Hebrew overseer in Herod. They had to pay Roman taxes, they had to bow to Roman gods, and if they refused, they suffered Roman punishment. They were looking for God to send them someone who could deliver them from Rome, to restore David's kingdom from long ago. This was the great hope of Israel at the time of Jesus' ministry. So it's clear to see that the kingdom they were hoping for was an earthly kingdom. Renowned scholar N.T. Wright claims that when we isolate this line from the prayer, your kingdom come, we are also to transpose the ending of the next line that we're covering next week. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wright claims that this ending serves uh, for the first three clauses about God in the prayer. So in other words, we should hear the prayer as this, hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The people in Jesus' time believed that earth and heaven were separated, that it was part of the the worldly order. Earth and heaven were separated. They were separated by a firmament. You're, you may remember this from the creation story in Genesis, where there were the waters on the earth and the waters above the earth, the firmament. And this created a sort of barrier that separated God from us, separated heaven from earth. In the midst of hardship, the prophet Isaiah pleads in his prophecy for God to tear open the heavens. In other words, to break this barrier, this separation between God and humanity, and come down and dwell with us. And this is exactly what happens in the incarnation of God in Christ. God comes down. In fact, in the Gospels, when Jesus is baptized by John, they tell us that the heavens are torn apart, they're torn open. And that's when we hear the voice from above saying, this is my son, my beloved With whom I am well pleased. The heavens are torn open upon baptism, but we also see this image of the heavens opening when Christ is transfigured on the mountain alongside Moses and Elijah. And finally, this image is made most clear to everyone upon Jesus' death on the cross when the temple curtain was torn in two. This curtain to the temple separated the Holy of Holies, where they believed God's presence dwelled in uh, the Ark of the Covenant, where only the high priest could go in to be with it. Uh, And this separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. This barrier, like the one between earth and heaven, has now been torn apart in Christ's death and resurrection. This image of Scripture tells us that Christ has become victorious over evil and death, and God is now closer than ever before. In other words, friends, it means God's kingdom has come. Now, the early church, which is when the Gospels were compiled largely from oral stories and traditions, they wrestled with this reality. Christ is risen, God's kingdom has come, but why is there still evil and hatred and suffering in this world? If God's kingdom is truly here, how on earth could this be? The answer of the early church, which was certainly on Matthew's mind when writing his gospel and John's in Revelation, is that there is both the already and the not yet present reality of God's kingdom. God's kingdom has been inaugurated on earth in Christ's death and resurrection. The barrier between God and us has been torn open, and we are able to draw closer to God than ever before. But we also know that this kingdom is not yet fully here. There is still suffering and hatred. People still pass from this life far too soon. This already and not yet present kingdom will finally culminate, when Christ returns, and all will be one in his name. This is the vision John provides to anxious Christians in his revelation. Brian Blunt, who is president of Union Seminary, uh, where I attended, and also one of my New Testament professors, says that the most important thing to remember about John's book is that it is titled Revelation, not Revelations. Sometimes you hear that and People say revelations instead of revelation. John has many visions, but only one revelation. And what is that revelation? That Jesus is Lord, and Jesus will bring about the the, uh, fulfillment of God's kingdom. What we read today was from the ending of John's revelation of the new Jerusalem coming down from the heavens. We see the new Jerusalem descending from the heavens. In other words, earth and heaven are not only uh, separated, not only has the separation been broken, earth and heaven have become one. The, The curtain is not only torn, but now is nowhere to be seen. When God's kingdom fully takes shape on earth. In this kingdom, death is no more. Nor is suffering or fear, God has wiped away every tear from our eyes. Even more so, all are one in this kingdom. Hatred and prejudice have been conquered, finally, by God's love. Our second lesson continues this vision, describing the river of life that runs through this city. What's interesting here is that just one chapter before in our first reading, John tells us that the sea is no more. People in John's time and place had a very uh, love-hate relationship, I guess you could say, with the sea. They were a coastal people, and as such, uh, the sea was a means of transportation, but also of livelihood. The sea provided food and also income. But the sea was also a scary place. It was a place of uncertainty, where storms could creep up at any moment, The sea was also believed to be a place where evil itself resides. In John's vision, this sea, this this unpredictable, uh, this, this place where evil dwells sea is replaced with the river of the water of life, bearing fruit and life for all who come to it. When we celebrate baptism, when we bring new Christians to our font to be baptized, we are providing that person and our entire community a foretaste of this vision. An idea captured so beautifully in the words of our next hymn, Shall We Gather at the River? What I love, friends, what I love about John's vision here is that here he gives us a glimpse of how our story will end of God's ultimate defeat of death, suffering, and hatred. John provides us a glimpse of the kingdom, a glimpse of the kingdom that we might seek to live into it today. In the sense, when we pray, your kingdom come, this means that we are signing on to live into this kingdom here and now as a people who ultimately know how our story will end. As I said at the start of the series, N.T. Wright claims that when we say the Lord's Prayer, we are boldly signing on to the kingdom of heaven, eagerly awaiting its culmination, and in the meantime, living into it here today. In our congregation and in our own lives and communities, we are to emulate the vision of the kingdom, of love triumphing over hate, wiping away tears of sadness and pain, People coming together in faith, witnessing that death does not get the last word. The pains of this life can make it difficult to live into this kingdom at times. But if we're looking for them, we too can catch glimpses of this kingdom drastically and dramatically breaking into our world here and now. This past week, I had the joy of seeing a couple glimpses of the kingdom as I visited our middle and high school youth groups on their respective trips. I witnessed a glimpse of the kingdom visiting our middle schoolers at the Massanetta Springs Middle School Conference, as Presbyterian youth from all over the country gathered together in community to explore their faith in Christ together. I also witnessed a glimpse of the kingdom visiting our high schoolers at Fred Camp last week, as they, too, gathered with other youth to provide loving help and care to residents of Fredericksburg in building wheelchair ramps and other needed household projects to help make their homes safer places to live. Now, I must say that all of our high school youth are now handier than I am with home improvement projects. So what glimpses of the kingdom have you witnessed? How can these glimpses give us hope and encouragement as we seek to live into the already and not yet present kingdom Christ is bringing forth among us? As we continue to pray together, thy kingdom come, friends, may we seek to live into and bear witness to this kingdom here and now as a people who ultimately know how our story will end. May we continue to witness to love's triumph over hate, of tears being wiped away, of division seizing. May we bear witness when we see glimpses of God's kingdom breaking into our world, responding as John did at the end of his revelation, saying, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.